0: Greetings, Alpha Seekers. This may be two for Thursday because um uh, I think my phone was throwing some sort of a telephone tantrum and was disconnected from the uh the world wide web, as we used to call it. AKA the internet. But uh we're back. Um welcome to the Nugent Ventures podcast for I guess full day one of the, uh, the new administration. And uh, the happiest guy about this, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who are doing a happy dance, uh, is apparently Tony Fauci. I mean, he is uh, now the uh, point person on the pandemic, which I think he probably always should have been. And... Uh, Very uh, upbeat, lighthearted, considering (laughs) the grim task and the 400,000 corpses that lay in the wake of this thing. With another 100,000 to come, according to uh, Joe. I mean, the Democrats came in and did a typical maneuver of the new administration saying, hey, you know what, these guys before us didn't do anything. We're starting from square one. And then managing the expectations and saying, you know what, it's going to take a... Long time to fix it because we we were in this big hole and, you know, be ready for 100,000 more deaths. And so this is a classic maneuver when a new administration, you know, takes takes the reins. Well, that guy before us didn't do anything right, and blah, blah, blah. Discounting, of course, the fact that the reason they have vaccines to distribute <laughs> is because of what happened under the... The last guy, so you know that's just typical political gamesmanship. So uh, market's fine though, Mister Market apparently is a Democrat now. So uh, the specter of regulation and taxation uh, is overshadowed by presumably domestic tranquility, and you know, I mean, the corporate world has gotten a lot more. Woke over the years, and so it probably is more in sync with the progressive agenda than it's ever been. So that's fine, you know, it's what it is. I mean, I've told a couple of people in the last couple of days, it's kind of hard to see how you make a rationally uh, plausible argument against what they want to do if you're in an environment where you can apparently issue debt with no consequence, infinitely. That gives the state infinite power. So you have to make some sort of an argument about why the state shouldn't use that power for what it perceives to be the benefit of its constituents in order to buy votes, obviously. But, you know, I think a lot of progressives are actually compassionate toward their fellow human being, person. Um... so it's kind of hard to argue that. You know, um, I'm on Medicare. Gee, it's great, you know. Why shouldn't everybody else be on it? So usually you say, well, we can't afford it. But when you can afford anything, how do you make that argument? the The counter is that it's all inflationary. But how inflationary? I mean, essentially, the Fed controls the federal funds rate. So you know, then the other argument is the devaluation of the, of the dollar. But let's face it, the Trump administration was pretty high on that because it helps American exports. So I don't really see, I think a cohesive, coherent argument needs to be made or developed uh, if you're going to have an effective opposition to this, because the arguments that I'm hearing out of the out of the new minority they don't actually hold much water if you if you buy into the things i just mentioned so we'll see we'll see what happens i think these uh, they've got a lot of room for uh, very rapid maneuvering and gaining a lot of ground here and so i think a lot of things will get done i think it is kind of a new deal type of a moment i think the pandemic will be used as the crisis to get through a lot of things. Probably not Medicare for all right away, at least. But, you know, there's a lot of arguments that the pandemic provides you if you want to go in that direction. Certainly bucket loads of trillions of dollars, 35% of GDP over the whole lifetime of these stimuli. And some of that stuff's going to be permanent. So, uh... You know, buckle up. And they had a press conference today with the new press secretary. No mask. Fauci didn't even have a mask. I guess the, and Fauci, you know, knows better than I do. But I guess the logic is that, you know, the, the vaccine takes a time out when those who speak the gospel of progressivism are on the podium, you know. Maybe it's a progressive. Maybe that's why it happened during Trump. I don't know. But in any event, um, you know, they, artic- they got a lot of questions and one of the questions was how long are they going to play around with bipartisanship? And she said, well, you know, at least for today, we'll get back to you tomorrow. So, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's going to take long for them to start doing reconciliation if that doesn't work. I don't think... The end of the fill. She said nothing's off the table, which is usually how you talk about dealing with Iran or North Korea. So you know they're going to deal with the Republican Party like a conquered army, I think. And I think that the filibuster's uh, life expectancy is very low. I would not write a life insurance policy on the filibuster if I were in that business. So. You know, they're going to ram everything they want through. And it's a perfect opportunity to do that. Now, this is just my projection. What do I know? But it's a perfect opportunity because the Republicans are so far back on their heels. You know. Now, in other news, in Portland, the Antifas uh, did like a storming of the government locally in protest against the Trump administration. Not Trump, I'm sorry. The Biden administration. Because remember, you know, the far left thinks Biden is just part of the problem, you know, their corporate Democratic Party. So that's interesting. And you start to wonder in this day and age whether the Russians have infiltrated those guys, because attacking a local government over the Biden administration is not a particularly rational thing to do, but it does make a good news story and tends to divide the country. And enable people to do a lot of what-about, you know. So what happens if the Antifas have a rally in Washington? Uh, I doubt that Joe Biden would be speaking there, so that's a big difference. But, you know, what if Bernie or uh, AOC, you know, go speak and then they go attack the Biden administration? (laughs) I don't know. We'll see what happens. But it does, you know, open up that sliver of uh, point-counterpoint type of thing. Because you've got violence on the left and violence on the right. And those sorts of, you know, I saw a picture of these Proud Boys today. Man, they're whack. You know, they got the helmets on and the gas masks and, you know, it's like World War One warriors. And uh the same thing, obviously, uh, you've got with these Antifas. So it may be that, you know, these sort of armed uh, radicals are going to be back as part of... American politics after fairly lengthy absence. Uh, I remember the Weathermen and and those types and uh, the people who blew up the University of Wisconsin labs. Uh, they were violent uh, anti-war protesters, and I think when they started to use violence, they kind of lost their credibility because it's like, well. You're doing the same thing you criticize us for doing in Vietnam, except you're doing it on your own people. Well, that didn't make much sense. And then, of course, you had anarchists back in the 20s. They blew Wall Street up, you know. So, And on the other hand, you've had the KKK and such on the other side of the political spectrum, if you will. So violent uh, paramilitary groups are... an Long tradition in American politics uh, and the American uh, political scene, and they may be back. I don't know. So, I think what Biden should probably do is make sure that he breaks, you know, cracks down on both extremes, and the Antifa's give him a pretty good excuse to do that, you know, so he can claim to be uh, healing the nation and suppressing violence, and, you know, maybe he really will do that, which is. And when you start bringing pipe bombs into washington, that's you're way over the line folks so anyway uh let's uh let's take a quick look at the uh authoritative and influential uh Nugent ventures LinkedIn corporate page we're up to by the way new hairstyle in this amanda Gorman I just caught a Photo of her as I got onto uh, uh, LinkedIn. Man, that is a new do. It's kind of like the old beehive, you know, with the red band around it. That's a big pile of uh, protein she's got on her head. So look for that to be the new fashion trend. I hope my wife doesn't do that. I should go ask her. (laughs) It's a good way to get my face slapped. So uh, anyway, Uh, Bitcoin, I said, I got to amend this, actually, Uh, I said it was down 18% in my post today, Uh, but that's not true. It was only down 8%. But still, you know, if you don't like dollar volatility or gold volatility, you're not going to like Bitcoin volatility. Um. And I'm, my comment on this, I posted a, a link to a finance Yahoo Finance story about the uh, Janet Yellen hearings, uh, confirmation hearings. And I think she's a great pick, by the way. You know, you're not going to have any more static between the Fed and the Feds because she's a former Fed. She was on the same board as uh, our current Fed chairman, Paul. So they're going to work like, you know... Laurel and Hardy, hopefully more effectively. Uh, Zonka and Kick, you know. Taze and, uh, Taze and uh, Kane, you know. Pick your favorite duo. They'll work really well together. And that's good, you know. These days, at least. Not always was the thought that the Fed and the Treasury should be like frickin' frack, but these days, certainly, that's the case. So, uh, Bitcoin was 8% down. It is, here's my comment. It is extremely unlikely that the Fed, the Federal Reserve, and the Feds, the Treasury, who abandoned the gold standard nearly 50 years ago would trap themselves in a crypto standard. So I say beware of Bitcoin. Because the last thing they want is hard money. I mean, linking linking the, the dollar to gold makes it hard money, which means that, you know, you can go to the, the gold window at the Fed and say, here's my dollars. you got to give me gold at $35 an ounce, I think was the peg back in the Roosevelt administration. Well, you know, that that puts you in a position that uh, you can't just print more money because you got to have gold to back it up, Right. So it limits the money supply to a fairly arbitrary and somewhat largely finite supply of, of precious metal called gold. Which is only rare, by the way, because, you know, all this stuff is basically stardust and stars don't uh, create that much gold. Uh, but that is where gold is forged. So... Uh, You know, if you back the money with uh, helium or hydrogen, then, yeah, you could print a lot more. But we picked gold because it's precious. It's uh, very limited in supply. And it's pretty, you know, it's attractive. They make jewelry out of it. So now you got Bitcoin, which, you know, you can't make jewelry out of Bitcoin. Uh, Gold even has an industrial purpose. There's no industrial purpose for a Bitcoin if you lose your password, you're, you've are you lost your Bitcoin. I mean, it's not like when the I lose my password at the bank every couple of days. They always give me another one. Well, there is no way to get another one with Bitcoin. So in terms of a store of value, it's like if you put it in a safety deposit, forget the key, they can't drill the lock off. That's a huge drawback. And... What it does is put the Feds and the Federal Reserve back in the box they were in in 1932 and, you know, barely got out of them, uh, you know, after Bretton Woods in 46 or 47, whenever it was, you know, they had a peg of of the dollar to gold and then everything else was pegged to the dollar. They don't want to get back in that box again. They need to print a ton of money to finance all this stimulus and stuff. So, I think that the federal government of the United States, as well as probably every other sovereign state, are very negative on gold. And they claim it's because of money laundering, but I think it's because of the monetary implications of that. So, I am not a bull on on crypto or Bitcoin. I'm afraid to short it, you know, and I don't even know how to play it in the options market. They're talking about doing an ETF and there's a Greystone exchange. I don't I don't really understand how to play it on the, on the bearish side, so I'm not playing at all. Uh, here is what hedge funds think about Gritstone Oncology. So Kramer had this outfit, Gritstone Oncology, on last night, and he thinks it could be the next Moderna. So that's worth a look. I'm not making a call there, but it's worth, it's gone up like 4x in the last, just a few days or weeks or whatever. Uh, There's an article I put out there about investing in real estate, which you may want to take a look at. Another one about how to invest in a bubble. And uh this one is the it's from a wealth of common sense. I put a couple of things out there. And it talks about stock, bond, and cash returns over time. And stocks have obviously outperformed bonds by about five percentage points in the long term. There are times when that inverts. Uh, There are times when cash gives you a better return because interest rates are so high. And the same thing goes with bonds, but, uh, you know, generally speaking, stocks have been good. And I put something out there by Carter Worth, a.k.a. Carter the Charter, Carter Braxton Worth, who's worth listening to, I say, being the punster I am. Uh, This is the simplest of pair trades, is an important development, short consumer staples and long health care. So even though the progressive agenda has always been thought to be anathema to uh, the health care for profit stocks, that's not the way that the market's trading it. And that tells me that Joe Biden's not going to repeat the mistake of the Obama administration, which was the lead with health care. Not in this, only in the sense that they're going to focus on the pandemic. And focusing on the pandemic may open up some uh, some Medicare for All movement, but uh, I don't think they're going to lead with trying to change that because that gives the Republicans an opportunity. Although it's been made clear that Republicans don't have any kind of a plausible alternative. I put a post out there about Novavax, which you can read. And another one about the housing market. So, another one about a company called Vedanta, which Pfizer has invested in, which is a good sign. And then CureVac, which Bayer is looking at producing. So, and today there was a big development. Lilly, Lilly has a, a drug that is related to antibodies and. Evidently, is 80-some percent protective, not of getting infected, but of suffering uh, symptoms. So, that's kind of a prophylaxis against symptoms, which would enable you to catch it, but not get sick or dead from it. So, that's great. And it's not instead of the virus, it's in addition to. So, I mean, if you look at a chart on Lilly, they're up big lately. I think if you were trading like a 150 not too long ago, and now they're either at or a little over 200 I think. So they're going into earnings this week, and I advised my partner to take a look at that because you might want to sell puts either into earnings or if you want to be a little safer, uh, wait until after earnings and then sell some puts against say, a 50, 100, 200-day moving average. I think you'll probably get away with that all day because... The phase three trial on that drug isn't happening. Uh, it's, in hap- it's happening now. So until it gets the approval decision or, or not, you know, there's got to be a bit under that. So, and then it could either pop or maybe it's baked in, but it's unlikely to drop even then. But certainly it's unlikely to drop before the approval decision. So I think that's enough uh, for today. Stay safe. Live long, prosper, wear your masks. And uh we'll talk to you tomorrow, hopefully. Bye-bye. Greetings, Alpha Seekers. Welcome to Nugent Capital. And uh I'm d I'm doing a little play-by-play of the uh inauguration here. And uh you know, it's like Limousine Liberal Fest today. There must have been a hundred SUVs rolling down a street in Washington today. And, uh, you know, it's like, really? Are those all EVs? Or aren't we warming the globe when we do that? And then they got, you know, it's a downsized event, obviously, with COVID and, you know, all the shenanigans of the uh, MAGA crowd. But, uh... The band is playing the, the the marine band. And I'm a big Marine Corps band fan, but you know, they don't have any masks on and they're they're blowing virus out of these uh instruments, the trumpets and the trombones and everything. And it's like couldn't you just play a like a, a you know, Spotify or whatever the hell the music thing is? <laughs> you know, do you have to have the real band there? Or couldn't they f- have masks on and kind of lip sync or you know brass sync the 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 orchestration? I don't know. You know, I mean, it's it's fun to it's fun for this reporter at least to uh, do a little mockery of the uh, of the uh, masked uh, crowd, but you can still recognize people with the masks. Uh Barack is there, and Michelle, the secular saints of the. Of the party, so you know it's. I I like to see the Democrats happy. I don't like to see them all all riled up. So, uh, it's a it's a love fest, and it's obvious. Now here is a guy. He's got a mask on. Oh, this is the Supreme Court justice, and he's got the mask. Oh, he had it off his nose. Now he just put it back over his nose. You know, so it's kind of like, in some cases, the masks are more virtue signals than they are. Actual health, public health uh, measures, but it is kind of tough to identify and you know, there's people walking down down the aisle here, and I don't know who they are because they're they're all wearing masks, but it's good to see the capital restored to its secure status that's for sure um, so today's episode will be the the purge of the week. Uh, I still get this in print, and I like it in print. Sorry. So, I I always skip the online version I get and wait for my print copy so I can go through with my highlighter, like a 20th century guy does. Um, so, there's a book of the week. And the book of the day thing didn't go too well because I'm still reading my Norman heritage. Uh, and at some point, maybe I'll lay down a track about that. But... Uh, Meanwhile, the book of the day will be this book review. The Age of Wood, Our Most Useful Material in the Construction of Civilization by Roland en- Enos. Enos? Whatever. I think it's Enos. So, it, it, you know, it's one of these books that tries to explain everything through the perspective of one thing, like gold or, you know, tin or the yeah, Irish saved the world or something like that. It's a popular genre. So this one is devoted to wood. And uh, it explains everything through wood, including America, because the motivation, it says, for Britain colonizing America was to get the wood, because there was a lot of wood here. And Britain had denuded its forests, as the saying goes. So... uh, Then he blames the rise of fossil fuels for the decline of wood, and it took only two or three generations to unmoor humanity, and there's been an ecological catastrophe. Well, really? I mean, it takes a certain amount of carbon intense production to make steel, but now we've made so much steel, most steel is just recycled. uh, And you know, the denuding of the forest was bad for the environment, wasn't it? So that doesn't make sense to me. But he says that you're going to be able to build skyscrapers out of engineered lumber. 80-story skyscrapers. But remember, too, the first time they built Chicago, they built it with wood, and it burned down. So then we stopped using wood. And... uh if you talk to CFD, you know, they're not going to be too excited about wood. I suppose it's non-flammable or fire retardant or resistance. But anyway. So back to Biden. I mean, it's all Biden all the time. So Neil Irwin of the New York Times writes that uh, inflation is not a problem and the Democrats should be aware of that because the Republicans did just about everything they could to make inflation happen, you know, with big borrowing and tax cuts, and it didn't. Uh, so it, it comes down to uh, the velocity of money. Art Cashin was talking about that today on CNBC, and he says, and which I think is one of those pithy phrases that really is powerful, you gotta lend and spend to get inflation. And it's tough to lend and it's kinda tough to spend. So no inflation. Plus you've got this, you know, first you double the workforce in the U.S. with the the women's movement, and then you've multiplied it 700-fold by the opening up of the entire world economy based on the decline of communism. So, uh, you know, we're now competing with the rest of the world for labor prices, and that keeps labor prices down. The Democrats are going to do the best they can to increase them by passing a nationwide $15 an hour minimum wage, which will have absolutely no effect in places like, or very minimal effect in places like Chicago. Because you can't hire anybody. There's another guy with his mask off. He doesn't care. I don't know who he is. Even with his mask off, I don't know who he is. Uh, it is outdoors. So that's very helpful. Um, but, you know, in in other places, it's going to be a killer. Because like in Arkansas or Kansas or whatever, 15 bucks is a lot of money. Because you can buy a house for $25,000. So... You know, the the minimum wage is necessary, I finally concluded, because otherwise you could, you know, de facto slavery is possible. So you have to have a minimum wage. Uh, Otherwise, if it wasn't for that realization, I never wanted a minimum or maximum wage. Let the market decide the price of labor like it does everything else. But you do have to have a minimum wage because we outlawed slavery. So therefore... Uh, it should be local though, because um, you know it's not one big country with one cost of living, at least not yet. Uh, New York City very high, but even then, if you live in uh, if you live in the Brax or you know Newark, you can hop into town and make a New York wage and and pay expenses that are very much lower than manhattan i got a slice of pizza one time in manhattan for a dollar i couldn't get that in chicago so anyway but that's what we're doing so it is what it is and maybe that'll be inflationary because what happens with a minimum wage is it pushes wages all the way up the ladder up because if i'm if if the minimum is 15 and I think I'm worth more than that, I'm going to push it up to 10 or 15 bucks more than that, you know? So that's, that's the whole idea of the minimum wage actually, is not just to affect the minimum, but, um, so here's another article about Bitcoin. What if you forget your password and if you lose the piece of paper you're dead, that you wrote it down in. So 20% of Bitcoin, about $140 billion is either lost or stranded in wallets without passwords. I mean, that's crazy. And there's no financial institution that can help you. I mean, this is crazy. so that is a serious limitation on the utility of bitcoin. fo show. Sure. <clears throat> now here's the health and science section. I'm kind of jumping around here. Benefits of brown fat. So if you're fat, which I am, then just tell everybody you got brown fat because evidently that's good fat versus bad fat. The other important thing here, melatonin supposedly is helpful and this is from the Mayo Clinic. No, Cleveland Clinic. Um if you take melatonin you're 28% less likely to test positive uh and if you're black it's 52% less so it's unclear why that is but it's true. Now, those of you who are regular listeners know that in my in my dotage here I come up with a lot of hair brain schemes for making money. So my latest one is uh, an octopus comedian because according to researchers, I suppose, octopuses are some of the smartest creatures on the planet and they may have a sense of humor. They're motivated by spite, you know, and if you've got those kinds of emotions, then you can get a laugh out of them. I don't know if they laugh, but you know, nobody laughs at my jokes. That's why I laugh at my own jokes because nobody else does. So, um, so I came up with an octopus joke and I said, you know, the thing about you octopuses is you're always indecisive. You know, you're like on one hand, uh, then on the other hand, and then on the third hand and the fourth hand and the eighth, you know, so that's my octopus joke. So that's all I got so far. But, and I'm also not a swimmer, so it would be kind of tough to get into the, you know, how do you get the audience? I mean, they can't come out and, yeah, you, know, you got to go down in the tank or whatever, you so, know. It's probably not going to work out. But I would be the world's only octopus comedian. Now, back to Bitcoin. Uh, because of fears of the debauchery of the currency, uh, the dollar keeps going down. And uh, the crypto market is now at a trillion, which is not a lot of dollars, actually. But uh, Bitcoin's gone up 40% in the last 12 months. And the investors think of it as a safe haven asset against inflation concerns, which it's so volatile. I don't know how you could think that. But JP Morgan says, and Jamie Dimon's been a huge skeptic on Bitcoin, says Bitcoin could hit $146,000 in the long term as it competes with gold as an alternative currency. Well, you know, Bitcoin is as Worthless as gold, really. I mean, gold you can use for jewelry. Gold has certain industrial applications. So, in that sense, it's got a little more intrinsic value than Bitcoin. Because what can you do with a Bitcoin? I mean, it's nothing basically. But I, you know, I can't get on board with that momentum trade. Just can't. Can't do it. If I was going to do anything. I would sell insurance on it uh, or actually rather buy insurance, buy puts. But I don't even know how to do that. So now uh, we we often talk about the the Republican Party and it's, you know, uh, greed, and, you know, party of the rich. And what we must realize is that, you know. Uh, capitalism is a bipartisan sport. So Janet Yellen, who's our new Treasury Secretary, is and former Fed chair, so she's like a very historic figure. I don't think anybody's ever held those two jobs. And I think it's a good idea, and I think she's very competent. Uh, but she collected more than $7 million in speaking fees over the last two years. Um, and the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, like winking, Blinken, and Nod, received $1.2 million. I got nothing against that, but let's just, you know, you basically got the corporate Democrats versus the socialist Democrats, and they put the socialist in charge of the Senate Finance Committee. You know, he knows where the money is. So anyway. Now here's something that's a keeper. Uh, stocks are soaring on tips from tic-tac-touts. Tic-tac-touts. There's a hashtag stock market. Now, I'm not even on TikTok, but there's a kid, Gavin Mayo, 19-year-old student at the University of North Carolina. He's got 60,000 TikTok stock tip followers. Unreal. So what does that mean? I mean, you can play that, you know, because there's going to be a bit under those stocks. And so if you sell puts on them and, you know, get in and out quick enough, you can kind of play that momentum in a conservative way. You know, if you sell the put at a level you'd be happy to own the stock at, so that we're going to keep. Now, here's something that's, you know, our our foes worldwide, or adversaries, I guess you could call them, we're not at war, the Russians are loving this whole, uh, you know, storming of the capital, riot, whatever, insurrection, and the Chinese, too, and the Iranians, and the Turks. So they're like, oh, yeah, you know, if this happened someplace else, you know, Nancy Pelosi thinks it's great when the people storm the the legislature in Hong Kong, but not so great when it happens here. And, you know, so we got all that going on. Let's see, I guess we're done here. President Trump is the first chief executive since Herbert Hoover to preside over his party's loss of the White House, the House of Representatives, and the Senate in a single term. And also the first president since Hoover to leave with a net loss of jobs with 4 million lost since 2016. And that's actually kind of a line with statistics thing because all the jobs were lost after the... Shut down, you know so, but you know that's the that's sort of the snarky way of looking at the at the situation, and this is a lot like the Great Depression, so we can kind of expect the f d r type of thing they can use this crisis as Rom never unforgettably said, never waste a good crisis. And you can argue anything over COVID because COVID. That's going to be the justification for a lot of things that were going to change the, I think, going to change the country at least as much, if not more, than the Roosevelt administration did. Let's see. What else? Flu cases are down 98%. So there's a slight offset of the deaths from COVID, you know, you have anywhere from twelve to 50,000 flu deaths every year normally. So, according to the CNN, it's getting hotter. So, climate apparently is changing. You heard it here last. This is this one got a laugh out loud for me. David Fromm in The Atlantic says, the central concept of modern conservative is victimhood. Really? <laughs> I mean, come on. Everybody and their uncle is a victim, except, you know, guys who look like me and who are, well, now I'm a victim because I was lamenting on Facebook my white privilege card wasn't working. And they said, well, your ageism... You know, so now you know what it feels like to be discriminated against. And, oh, okay, so my white privilege card has an expiration date. That's what it is. So, anyway. But that that just killed me. It's like nobody else is a victim these days, huh? I guess I misunderstood some of the things I've heard as Mr. Woke person. So, anyway. Uh, What does the GOP stand for? This is a good question. By Ramesh Panunu in the National Review. Uh, basically, he's saying that the party really has become the party of no. And I think that's why they don't do so well when they govern. And he characterizes it as Republican incoherence on health care. Uh, if they hope to re, regain power opposition to Democrats won't be enough. If those of us who are not progressives don't have a different sense of how our country should be governed, then why are we engaged in politics in the first place? Well, Ramesh doesn't quite get it, because basically what conservatives are trying to do is keep things the same as they've always been, by definition. You know, that's where you're at. You're defending the status quo, and so you don't really, by definition, have an alternative, right? Because you like things the way they are, by and large. And you're just trying to slow, quote, progress. Because the conservative doesn't view it as progress. The conservative views it as, you know, uh, the decline involved of the, of the status quo. So the, the, Republic, the conservative Republicans are in a natural; they're natural opposition party, and I think that's where they're going to be for the foreseeable future. And it's probably just as well because, you know, you have to have choice. You have to have you have to be able to walk away from a deal to make a good deal, and having two parties gives you some place to walk away to. And at least the progressives have to, you know, make an argument with somebody. And sometimes by making an argument, you find the flaw in your case if there is one, you know, or if you have any degree of intellectual integrity, unless you're just a party line populist like many are. So then there's another piece here by historian Timothy Snyder. He says that uh, Trump has presented himself as the single source of truth. In other words, it's true because I say it is. Uh, It's kind of like the old Groucho Marx. What are you going to believe, me or your own eyes? Uh, To believe in all of Trump's lies was to accept the authority of a single man because to believe in all of them was to disbelieve everything else. And, you know, that harks to the point I used to make with Trump haters, which was he's like any other politician except more so, and he's an amateur, so he's less sophisticated. I always said about Trump, it's like some guy at a bar on Western Avenue, and you're having a conversation with him, and he's telling you what he'd do if he was going to be president, and he becomes president. So, you know, he's come and gone, And I certainly hope that the lesson the Republicans learn is that it does take some experience to be president, right? So I don't think the gifted amateur has a place in the White House. But, I mean, where I parted ways, I was never with Trump, really, at all, kind of, because I voted against him three times, but... You know I parted ways with him, and I think that in an odd way, this riot or whatever you want to characterize it at was a unifying event because although i'll I will be reading shortly some statistics which belie that notion, but there's a great uh great cartoon here in the it says uh, like they're taking i d s to get into the Congress at the riot and You have to show your white privilege card. So So there is such a thing, I guess, at least in the imaginary world of cartoons. And I guess mine expired. Not good news for me. Okay, so here's some stats that belie that notion. 80% of Republicans think Trump shouldn't be blamed for the... uh, inciting the mob, uh, whereas uh, 94% of Democrats think otherwise. But it surprises me that 80% of Republicans are there. 71% of Republicans continue to approve of him, but his overall rating's 33. So that just goes to show you how important it is what Republicans think these days. In the national mix, Russ Duthat, Duthat, D O U T H A T, who used to write for the Wall Street Journal, now writes for the New York Times, says the implicit bargain—the implicit bargain of the Trump era—required traditional Republicans to swallow a measure of insanity in exchange for a hold on power. Um. So this could mean the crack up of American conservatism. And time has proven that much heralded and anticipated moment uh, illusory, but breaking points do come. Honestly, it's kind of hard for me to see where, where you go with the Republican platform because... If deficits really don't matter like Dick Cheney said and inflation really isn't a risk then it's hard to come up with a sound idea for why you shouldn't do what these uh, progressives want to do. So there may come a time when the facts uh, support the notion that this is a crazy agenda but At the moment, I think that's a tough argument to make. Okay, so great quotes today in the wit and wisdom section. It's funny, so says J.D. Salinger here, he who wrote The Catcher in the Rhyme, the late J.D. It's funny, all you have to do is say something nobody understands and they'll do practically anything you want them to. And that is the ancient... uh, the ancient notion of uh, the Fed. You know, when uh, Alan Greenspan used to come up and talk at riddles like the Sphinx, people people do anything he said because they didn't know what he was talking about. They figured he was smarter than they were. Turned out he wasn't. Well, now the Fed is very transparent, so nobody does what they want. We are what we pretend to be And so we must be careful what we pretend to be, says Kurt Vonnegut. I think a lot of these MAGA, the MAGA mob is probably a lot of them are kind of waking up to that now that they're getting thrown in jail and such. Here's F. Scott Fitzgerald, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, writers. Show me a hero and I'll write you a tragedy. So don't be a hero, guys. Tobey Johnson. Tobey... Jansen, one of my Scandinavian uh, brethren, all things are so very uncertain, and that's exactly what makes me feel reassured. Now, that's important when you're a trader. You know, they say the market doesn't like uncertainty. Actually, if there wasn't any uncertainty, you couldn't make any money. So ask Dan Keegan, the options thinker, about that. Traders love volatility, and volatility is based on uncertainty. So, you have to be certain in an uncertain world. But Hannah Arendt, who is a philosopher of note, freedom of opinion is a farce unless factual information is guaranteed and the facts themselves are not in dispute. Well, that would pretty much obviate freedom of opinion because factual information is never guaranteed and the facts are always in dispute. So, there are certain objective facts, yes, but very easy to lie with statistics. Says Rex Stout, who's a writer, that of course is the advantage of being a pessimist. A pessimist gets nothing but pleasant surprises, an optimist nothing but unpleasant and that's why I used to be a pessimist, and I still tend to be one. Uh, it, it's a way of protecting yourself emotionally from disappointments. But um, you're wrong a lot when you're a pessimist. So, you know, like I used to think I didn't any long-term plans when I was a kid because I just figured there'd be a nuclear war. Somebody would screw up and push the button. But I was wrong. So, you know, maybe I would have done better if I made longer-term plans and been an optimist. You kind of have to be an optimist because, as hard as it is, because you, it's very hard to be at the top of your game if you're a pessimist. I know this. I rarely am at the top of my game. So if you're an optimist, it's good for your motivation. So I envy the optimist. I find it hard to be one. but, And, you know, every every script... Really, if you were honest about it, should end by you know saying, "Well, in the end, they all died because <laughs> we all do, but if you walk around like that, then you're not going to have much fun while you're alive, so you have to kind of delude yourself self delusion optimism is self delusion, and I'm not that good at deluding myself, but the re- the reality of it is if if you're an optimist about the market over the long term, you're going to be right almost inevitably. You just have to have a long enough time frame, right? Bertrand Russell said, remember your humanity, forget the rest. Which I think speaks for itself. It's kind of like that dust to dust. In the Catholic faith. All right, now here is a big threat to, and this has been something that's been on the radar for a long time. I'm more of a Wall Street Journal Republican, if I'm a Republican at all. But companies are cutting contributions to Republicans, so that's kind of, you know, what are they going to have this guy, the the QAnon shaman? Are they going to have him fund the party? Yeah, if they lose the corporate money, they got a problem. And the 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 corporate structure doesn't seem to really, you know the the market the Mister Market may be a Democrat now because Mister Market was not unhappy with the election results. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's it for today's episode. Um, we are going to take a position on Arini. I think today. Uh, They've got a drug for lupus nephritis, which I'm somewhat familiar with from past uh, work in medical writing. So uh, watch for the news on that. And I think that's all for today. Not much point watching CNBC for you. They're just covering the whole inauguration, which is amazing. I don't recall them covering a political event this intensely, they might as well just pick up the uh, MSNBC feed. So, anyway, that's where we're at, folks, and uh, live long, prosper, stay safe, wear your mask, and uh, stay away from the Marine Corps ban. Bye-bye.